All right, it's going to be Joel chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 21 to 27 first. I'm entitled Showers of Blessings. How long as I read? This is God speaking. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the trees have borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he's poured down for you the rain, the early rain and the latter rains as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Then I will make up for you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the creeping locusts and the stripping locusts and the gnawing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in, your midst of, in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my name will, are, and my people will never be put to shame. You know, if you were to do a Google search putting in the words turning points in history, which I did, you'll find a few results that come up where uh, writers will list out what they consider the key moments in the history of the world that changed the destiny of humanity. Now, some of those that we'll find on the list are like the discovery of fire, the first forging of metal tools, the rise of the Assyrian army, or the Assyrian Empire, the fall of the Roman Empire, the plagues of the Middle Ages, the invention of the printing press, Luther's stand uh, at the Diet of Worms, some had a list that gave 10, top 10. Others gave 100, but I noticed that no two lists were the same. Now, last week I mentioned that uh, the understanding of the role of Israel in God's plan of salvation is essential to correctly interpreting much of the Bible. And I stated that if you think of God's plan of salvation as a, a railroad, the final destination would be the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. The believers would be those who are on the train by faith the engine would be Christ leading down the track, but that track would represent Israel's history. But if you were to think about the turning points in Israel's history, which events do you think would have to be included? I think the first one would have to be the call of Abraham. After the flood, the people quickly turned back to sin and idolatry, and God called Abraham saying, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will be blessed. And I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, working through this man, and then later through his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob, God was building a family that he would turn into a nation, which would become the center of his plan. Well, the next turning point would have to be the exodus and the giving of the law. By his outstretched arm, God rescued his people from tyranny under Pharaoh, destroying the world's most powerful nation at the time. And then they entered into a formal covenant agreement with God, where he pledged to be their God and they pledged to be his people. Well, the next turning point would be the promise made to David that one of his descendants would rule over the nation of Israel and ultimately the world forever. After that, the turning point would be the building of the temple. Now, lots of nations had temples for their false gods, but the temple that Solomon built was for the true and living God. 
And he promised his presence would dwell there as long as they trusted him and followed his commandments. God upheld his part of the covenant, but they didn't. And so God, through Nebuchadnezzar, brought about the next thing, the fall of Jerusalem, and they exiled the people. He had warned them when he entered into the covenant with them at Mount Sinai that if they persisted in their sin, he would eventually send them into captivity. And he followed through on his threat. Seventy years they lived in Babylon, pining away for their ancient homeland. Daniel was just a boy when he was taken away. Well, that brings us to the return of the exiles, though. Most Jews remained in Babylon, but 50,000 under Ezra and Nehemiah came back to restore the temple and rebuild the city. It was a hard task, but by faith, in the midst of much opposition, they accomplished it. Well, past that, the next big event would have been the Maccabean Revolt. Now, this actually took place between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament in that period. A ruler named Antiochus Epiphany was a descendant of one of the generals of Alexander. The great decided that he was going to make Jews into Greeks. And so he burned all the Bibles, forbid the Jews to circumcise their boys. He put a statue of Zeus in the temple, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. A priest named Judah Maccabees and his sons raged, uh, waged a successful guerrilla war against the Seleucids and drove them out of their country. And they enjoyed freedom for quite a number of years. This is what Hanukkah celebrates. Well, past that, the most important event was the coming of the Messiah and their rejection of him. You know, when you read through the New Testament, you find that it's not so much that the Jews are castigated for having Jesus crucified as much as not believing in Jesus once he was raised from the dead. Now, some Jews did believe at that time because God has always preserved a remnant of true believers, but most refused to accept Jesus as their Messiah, which they have even until this day. Well, the next big event after that, turning point, was the wars against Rome. A little more than 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the zealots in Jerusalem led a rebellion against Rome. It took the Romans several years to put it down, but when it ended, they defeated the Jews and destroyed the temple. Not learning their lesson, another 45 years later, they rebelled again. And 15 years after that, the results of those last wars were even more disastrous than the first. 580,000 Jews died, tens of thousands were sold into slavery, and most of the rest were exiles scattered across the world. And one of the countries they were scattered to was Spain. In 19, or 18, try again, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but that was also the same year that uh, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella expelled the Jews from their land. And they went to many other places. And one of the places that they were found in was in Russia. But during the time of Tsar Alexander, when he was assassinated, it was found out that some of the conspirators in the assassination were Jewish. And a wave of riots and persecution against the Jews occurred in a number of cities, what's known as the pogroms. If you've ever seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof, that's the setting for that. Well, after that, the big event was the Holocaust. Some six million Jews died, many in the gas chambers in Treblinka and Auschwitz. Then another turning point came as a result of that, the establishment of the modern state of Israel in 1948. After 1,800 years of living in exile, the Jews began to come home. Well, the next one is yet future. It's a covenant agreement that Israel will make with the Antichrist. This future turning point is prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. We're told that three and a half years into the seven-year agreement, this Antichrist will break the agreement and begin to persecute the Jews, attempting to finish what Hitler began. The angel told Daniel 
that there would be a time of distress such as never has occurred since there has been a nation until that time. This is the time that Jesus referred to as the Great Tribulation. But that angel went on to tell Daniel that at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. And then it'll lead to the final turning point in the history of the Jews, which is their return to the Lord. After thousands of years of turning away from their God, by his grace, they're finally going to turn back to God and embrace Jesus as their Messiah. Now, last week we saw how Israel will be rescued by God when he destroys the northern army that comes to invade their land. In this section, the prophet tells us that once Israel has turned back to the Lord, God intends to send them blessings, showers of blessings, both physical and spiritual. And so today, to celebrate God's faithfulness and keeping his promises, we want to consider what this passage has to say to us this morning as far as the blessings that are in store, not only for Israel, but ultimately for all of God's people. So why don't we pray and get into the text. Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy. I pray that you would help us to understand and see you behind the words in the text this morning so that we also may be blessed by it. We ask now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do we see in this text? There's three things. First of all, there's a call to rejoice, a call to rejoice, and that's in verses 21 to 24. Secondly, there's a promise to restore. That's 25 to 26. And finally, God's presence in their midst, and that's verse 27. A call to rejoice. Hey, I got a question for you. Where were you when you heard that Germany had surrendered to the Allied forces? <laughs> what, you don't remember that? Most of us here, almost all of us here, were not born. And some of you, even your grandparents were not born at that time. The announcement uh, of the surrender of German forces was made in England by Prime Minister Winston Churchill on May 8th of 1945. There's a famous picture of Churchill standing on a balcony with King George on one side and his wife on the other and the two princes behind them. And of course, uh, one of those princes was Elizabeth, the queen who died just a few weeks ago. Now I read somewhere that the two princesses, when they were done with their royal duties that day, they changed their clothes and covered their heads because they wanted to go out incognito to celebrate with all the people in the streets the victory over the Nazis. And oh, what a celebration it was, not only in England, but across Europe and the United States. In Korea, the defeat of Japan in World War II has marked the end of 35 years of Japanese rule, and it's celebrated with a holiday called Guangbokchiao, which means the day the light was restored. Well, Jesus is the light of the world, and he will not only defeat Israel's enemies, but he will bring back light, spiritual light, to their land. And they will ultimately fulfill in that day the words of Isaiah, chapter 61 to 5, that say this, Arise and shine, for light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isn't that what we teach the kids? Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. For behold, darkness will cover the, the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes and around and look and see. They are all gathered together. They come to you, your sons and your daughters from afar. They will be carried in their arms. Then you will see and be radiant. And your heart will thrill and rejoice because of the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. But before that day, God's going to make good on his word of threat that are found in the Old Testament covenant that he made with Israel because of their apostasies. Having rejected the good shepherd Jesus, 
who Zechariah said they would sell for 30 pieces of silver. They have to endure the foolish shepherd, he predicted, one who would not care for the perishing, seek the scattered or heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat of the sheep and tear off their hoofs, Zechariah 11.16. It's this one that we call the Antichrist, who God calls the Assyrian in Isaiah chapter 10, who will be the rod of his anger, he said, and the staff in which is my... Uh, in, in whose hand is my indignation. I will send it against the godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. But God promises that after he uses this Assyrian king to chastise his people, he would punish and destroy that same king for his arrogance. And in our text in Joel, he's celebrating the blessings that will come to Israel after the defeat of their archenemy. And he starts by calling the land and the beasts of the field to rejoice. Look what it says. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. Now, earlier, Joel was telling us that a result of the locust plague that had hit their land, that the seeds had been shriveled and the, under the clods, the, the storehouses had been desolate, the barns tore down, for the grain has dried up, how the beasts groan. The herds of the cattle wander aimlessly because there's no pasture for them. Even the flock of the sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fires devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and the flames have burned up all the trees in the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fires devoured the pastures of the wilderness. You know, a lot of people are always concerned about animal rights. But you know why animals suffer? It's because of human sin. The earth was cursed because of Adam's fall. And Paul tells us in Romans 8, 19 to 22, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. But in that day, the newly redeemed Jews will sing, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. If you've ever been to Israel or have seen pictures of it, much of it is dry and desert-like. But in Ezekiel 36, 34 to 36, speaking of those days, God says this, the desolate land will be cultivated. Instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by, they will say, this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left around about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. We get what? about 30 inches of rain here a year. The northern part of Israel and the coastal areas get about 20 inches of rain. In the Negev, they get maybe 10 inches of rain. In Hilo, Hawaii, they get 156 inches of rain a year. Wow. Well, if the land of Israel is going to become a tropical paradise like the Garden of Eden, they're going to need a lot more rain. And we know just who can supply. Look what it says in 23 to 24. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he's given you the early rain for your vindication. 
And he's poured, out, uh, poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rains. As before, the threshing floors will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and with oil. You know, we've actually had a fair amount of rain here this year. Not much of our country. My wife was talking to a friend of hers who she went to school with, lives in Oklahoma. She said everything down there is drought. Beef prices have dropped recently, but that's because ranchers had to sell off their herds because there's no hay. What do farmers call it when they get that nice rain after the dry spot? What did Alan say? A million dollar rain? Well, God is going to make sure his newly redeemed people, Israel, get lots of rain. The early rain and the late rain. And just at the right time, the grain bins are going to be filled overflowing and the vats are going to be filled with wine and oil. And what will the thrill of the people be the most in? It's not the gift of the Lord, but in the Lord himself. It says, so rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. Listen carefully. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He also told his disciples, he said, I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. When a person finds Jesus, or better yet, we could say when Jesus finds that person, it's like they've discovered a, a treasure in a field. Now, I've never put money in a slot machine, so I had to look this up to make sure I was right. But if it comes up three cherries, you hit the jackpot. But when a person comes to faith in Christ, they've hit the jackpot and the coins that come out are not quarters, but solid gold coins of spiritual blessings. Ephesians 3.1 tells us, Behold, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Many of these blessings can only be received, though, after Jesus returns. Peter tells us that we have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice. Now, even though if necessary, you're distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may result found a result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. We sing that song, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's troubles will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase, so boldly run the race till we see Christ. If you're a Christian, that's why you can keep going. That's why if you're a believer, you will keep going. Because he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 When God finally completes his work of redeeming Israel, they will rejoice in him and their long-rejected Messiah, King Jesus. That brings us to our second point, a promise to restore. Do you know people like to restore old things? Like uh, cars, tractors, pocket watches? I came across an article entitled, Nine Ways to Restore Old Things Back to Their Glory Days. Well, God is not going to restore Israel back to her glory days. He's actually going to restore them forward to their glory days. Because their best days are yet to come. Because in the Old Testament, he promised that he would someday make a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took, them out of the hand, I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declared the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or one another saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says, He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if the decree, these decrees can vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they've done, declared the Lord. Well, here in our text, God speaks of one aspect of this restoration, the one which is most on the mind of the people in Joel's day after that locust plague. He says this, look what it says, Then I will make up for you, or as the ESV says, restore, for you that the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the creeping locusts and the stripping locusts and the gnawing locusts, my great army which I sent you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt uh, dealt wondrously with you, then my people will never be put to shame. I remember seeing an interview with a guy. This was in the 70s, so the World War series. And he was talking about what the appeal of Hitler was uh, to the German youth at the time. He said it wasn't just the pride and nationalism. He said it was the fact that the Nazis came along promising bread and jobs. He said, now, to people today, that means nothing. But, oh, at the time for us to hear that we had plenty of food to eat, and a place to work. But, you know, God promises here that he'll make up for the years that the locusts have eaten away. Now, that's certainly true physically, but couldn't we make a spiritual application of this as well? I mean, maybe you came to faith late in life, after your kids were grown and out of the house. Their lives are all messed up. And you're thinking, oh, how I wish I would have come to Christ sooner. I could have taught my kids from the youngest age to know the Lord. But cannot God make up for the years that the locusts have eaten away? Can't you pray and ask him that you could be a better influence now on your grandchildren than you were even with your own kids? Perhaps you've made, wasted much of your life chasing after things in the world. And now you've come to your senses and you realize how valuable time is and how much of it you've actually squandered. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's never coming back. But isn't God in his grace able to make the few remaining years that you have productive for his kingdom? Can he not restore and replace wasted years with useful years? He's going to do that with Israel when he redeems her. He can do that for you if you return to him. There's a call to rejoice. There's a promise to restore. And finally, there's God's presence in their midst. And this is verse 27. Now, man was created to be in fellowship with and have communion with God. In Genesis 3, we read about how God walked in the Garden of Eden, evidently on a regular occurrence. But the sound of his footsteps terrified Adam and Eve after they ate from the tree that they had been forbidden to. Because they had sinned and they were naked and ashamed. Now, through the sacrifice of an animal, their nakedness was covered and they received the first promise of a coming Savior. But then they were driven out of the garden and out of the presence of the Lord God. 
But even if the rains come back to Israel in abundance and their land becomes as rich and fruitful as the Garden of Eden, what good does it do to live in a garden without God? We were created by God, for God, to have fellowship with God. Now the name Ichabod means without glory and Israel has lived in an Ichabod state since they've rejected their Messiah. And whatever her military successes, whatever her political accomplishments, no matter how many Jews win Nobel Peace Prizes, the descendants of Jacob are still in their shame because they're in their unbelief. But someday that's all going to change. After Jesus defeats Israel's enemies, he will come to Jerusalem and enter through the East Gate. By the way, do you know that that gate is walled up and it has been for hundreds and hundreds of years? And when their rescuer and redeemer comes walking through their streets, they're going to cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As verse 27 says, Thus you will know that I am in your midst, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. The one speaking in that passage is Jesus. As it says in Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You'll fear no disaster no more. In that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hand fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feast. They will come from you, O Zion. The reports of the exiles is a burden on them. Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. Even at that time, I will gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Isn't God good? Isn't he gracious? Isn't he wise and patient as he works out his plan over hundreds and thousands of years. Isn't he faithful? Isn't he trustworthy? Years ago, there used to be a commercial, a local lawyer, and he was a bankruptcy lawyer. And when he was done, at the end of the commercial, he always said the same thing. I'm Jack Prescott. This is all that I do. And I do it well. They said of Jesus, he doeth all things well. If you haven't trusted Christ yet, you could start today and make today the most important turning point in your life. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to save you. He sent his son to be a savior. Let's pray. Lord, so many of the prophets, there's so much that's condemning and has to be because we're sinners. And Israel was in rebellion against you most of its history, and it still is today. But this passage talks about a day when your son is going to come back and redeem his countrymen. 
Now, Father, for most of us, that day of redemption has already come when we trusted in Jesus as your Christ and our Savior. Father, we pray for people here who don't know you, for people who are going to listen over the internet and over the radio station, that you'd work in their hearts, that you'd call them, that they could rejoice in this Savior that Israel someday will receive as their own. Father, we live in the midst of a dying and dark world, but we still have life and light through your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray, Father, that you'd help us to bring that light to anyone that is in darkness so that they also can enjoy salvation that you've provided. So bless us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.